Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. The mask slips. Public health officials at Neffet say it's time to end the mask mandate on public transport and in shops and schools. I just think it's a bit too risky if everyone suddenly started taking off their masks, especially with the Leaving Cert coming up. It would be just unfair to jeopardise the Leaving Cert for all the six years who've already been through enough already. We have reaction and analysis and Finance Minister Pascal Donoghue joins us as new inflation figures reveal where prices are rising. Also tonight, a multi-hazard event. Red alert for four counties as Storm Eunice barrels our way. There is some very severe, very dangerous weather on the way with the danger to life. So we are urging people to, to not venture outdoors tomorrow morning if they don't have to. And later, the West warns of war in Europe, saying Russia is poised to invade Ukraine within days. I am here today not to start a war, but to prevent one. public health officials at the National Public Health Emergency Team are recommending an end to mask wearing in almost all settings, but thinks they should still be used in hospitals and nursing homes. The proposal will now be considered by the government, and if accepted, masks would no longer be required in shops, public transport or in schools. Well, I'm joined now by the Minister for Finance, Pascal Donoghue. Minister, you're very welcome along to the programme tonight. And let's start with those NEFET recommendations. Big changes are afoot. It seems like a complete shift in tone. Um, in terms of how the government intend on approaching these recommendations, we are hearing politically that they're being widely accepted and welcomed. Uh, is that the mood in Cabinet? So we will be receiving the letter from NEFED, uh, I imagine, really soon. Uh, the party leaders will consider it on Monday and then we'll have a cabinet meeting on Tuesday to make the necessary decisions in relation to us. I think you're broadly right. I think a communication like this will be very positively received. I can't help be struck by we're receiving this communication on a day in which we still have many thousands of cases of transmission of COVID. And it does really show the impact that our vaccination programme has had, that it has managed to break the link between getting COVID and getting very, very sick. And that in turn has created the environment within which NEFA can make the recommendation mm -hmm. they have to government. Mm -hmm. People will have been struck by what Minister Eamon Ryan had sa said today. He was, he was saying the decision should be made. It should be made straight away. He personally wants to see an end to masks in his own remit, public transport, but in schools, education settings, as we say, retail settings everywhere. Would your personal view be very much the same? You want to see um, masks essentially done away with now? So I think there's a import, very important point in what Minister Ryan said today, which is that when we do receive public health advice, 
in any direction, I think it's very important to act on it very quickly. Uh, I would certainly welcome getting to a point in which we didn't have to require so many, particularly our young in schools, to wear masks. I know for many, it could actually be quite a sudden change. We've lots of girls and boys who, for example, let's say for all of their secondary school life, if they're in second year, they've only known their fellow pupil wearing a mask. And I do accept it will be a big moment of change for many of them. But I think we've shown what we can achieve uh, when we can uh, be guided by public health advice that's grounded in science. Uh, and that's the spirit that's guided Neffert in the recommendation they've made. Well, some scientists have said this isn't necessarily grounded in science, the decision has been made. It's been made at a public health level, but all the scientific angles haven't essentially been looked at when we still have thousands of cases circulating. They are high in schools and we do have a number of children hospitalised. For people watching in tonight, and there are people who are concerned, they may be you know, parents to vulnerable children, yeah. immunocompromised, and they're very worried about this decision and a decision like this being made in haste. What would you say to them? So we have been uh, uh, dealing with the consequences of this pandemic now for nearly two years. And any decision that's going to be made is not one that is made in haste and is made after a very careful consideration which NEFED have given to this. And no doubt when we receive the communication from NEFED, it will lay out the rationale and the background for the recommendations they're making. So to those, and do I do you know, know what that is? Do you know what the rationale no, is? So I haven't received, I, ha, haven't received the letter yet, but I'm sure I'll see it tomorrow, uh, and then, as I said, it'll be considered on Tuesday. And then, but once they, it's considered they, on Tuesday, they, they will, just on they that will lay out the rationale for the recommendation they've made, and then I would expect what will have to happen then is regulations in relation to public health guidelines will then need to be changed, and what government will do on Tuesday assuming it accepts the NEFET recommendation, which I'm sure it would, would then change the regulations at that point. At that point, that would become effective the next day or will there be a date in mind? Well, it's a little premature for me to say that, given that I actually haven't seen the letter itself yet. Yes, but, but, but given that but, you but say when, it's going to be... When we've made decisions like this in the past, it normally has been over a number of days, as was the case the last time we had to change public health regulations. And I would expect that a decision like this will be implemented quite quickly. OK, but so Tuesday, when you say quite quickly, by the end of next week or... Well, I, I prefer to have the opportunity to read the letter uh, before I give an indication as to when it might be implemented. And as I said, a number of times in the interview, I haven't received a letter yet. OK, uh, on COVID support, so currently the wage subsidy scheme for those businesses that were affected by public health restrictions that came in in December... Um, they are likely to start reducing next month. There's also that liquidity support to businesses that will end at the start, end of April and other support and the, the PUP recipients as well. They'll start moving on to the standard um, job seeker terms from the 5th of April. Within government, um, are you considering fast-tracking the end of these supports at all with this move, with this change and, and the removal of almost all restrictions at this point, Minister? Uh, no. Uh, an important feature of how we've managed our business supports up to this point is we've looked to give, insofar as we ever could, clarity and certainty regarding how things will change. And a number of weeks we outlined how uh, between uh, the start of April and the end of May, the employment wage subsidy scheme in particular would be phased out. And we made the first change in the employment wage subsidy scheme as part of the winding down of mm -hmm. it there a number of weeks ago. 
So my view at the moment would be to continue to stick with that plan. Uh, it is coinciding with, for example, today, an indication that we nearly have 2.5 million people at work. Uh, but I know for many small and medium-sized businesses, the moment the supports go will be a moment of risk to some of them. So I think, therefore, it's important to stand by the plans we've communicated. Have you planned for that? What happens when, when the, the plug is pulled on those supports? Because there's a lot of businesses at the moment sure. that are surviving because of those supports. Business isn't back up to where it was pre-pandemic. And that's indeed why I say that the indications that we've given regarding the future of these supports, we would want to stand by that because the number of months that are ahead where the supports will still be available will be helpful to businesses getting their buffers ready for trading uh, at a time in which there are other challenges. In terms of uh, the, uh, the degree of planning we can do, what we've always wanted to do is coincide the reduction in supports with employment in particular uh, beginning to build quite strongly. And it does like, look like that is happening. As I said a moment ago, to see how many people are at work here today indicates to me that we've got the timing of our support change right and that our supports have worked in protecting the domestic Irish uh, economy and the viability of small and medium-sized employers. Do you accept, though, that this is a very uncertain time and that certain no. businesses will go to the wall when these supports are pulled? I absolutely accept it's such an uncertain time indeed and accept that, for example, the rising price of energy um, is something that is a challenge for many, many employers. Uh, but we put in place emergency economic supports during a health emergency. That health emergency is receding. The EWIS scheme alone, which is our wage subsidy scheme, for the month of December was €440 million Euro in that month. So we need to remove these. To, to go back to your question there regarding is it a moment of risk? Yes, it will be for some employers. And we'll get a better sense as to how many of them could be affected when we see uh, the subsidy in EWIS begin to reduce and to see if that has any impact on the viability of employers. But to date, we don't have that indication. Any potential emergency measures that may be put in place for those at-risk businesses and you know, jobs that could be at risk as a result of this? But we've done so much up to this point to give these employers every chance of being viable uh, in a lower pandemic economic environment because we absolutely appreciate how challenging it has been for so many. But actually, many of the supports that we have in place beyond the wage subsidy scheme, we've indicated how some of them will be maintained for longer periods. So to give an example of that, the warehousing scheme in relation to tax liabilities. For many companies, they'll be able to access that for a further 12 months at a 0% okay. interest rate to manage, as I said, what we acknowledge to be a moment of risk. OK, you mentioned there the cost of living and we know fuel prices. We heard from AA today saying fuel prices are now at their highest since their records began in 1991. It costs an awful lot to fill up at the pump and people are really feeling the pinch, as you know, Minister. Why not cut VAT on fuels? Why didn't that happen? Uh, because for a number of different reasons. Uh, first, a huge cost that would be involved in doing that. Uh, we have a national debt now of uh, 236 to 237 billion euro. And even though our public finances have recovered quickly, we're still borrowing an awful lot of money. Yeah, and I was thinking about that when you were saying the public finances. We know like all the revenue that came in. We know that, you know, there are a lot of people doing very well in this country. And for that reason, you know, revenue has been up, tax take has been up. 
it's all looking very healthy. But, but we also know that there are people who are being pummeled right now by the cost of living. And, you know, they're, they're making choices between food and fuel. We know all this. Mm. Um, and, and it is being done in other countries. You know, it's been done in Spain, it's been done in Sweden and in Denmark. And, and why, why not do it? So, as I said, the first one is the sheer cost involved in it. The second reason one is to uh, compare the other countries that you've just compared this to. They have a far higher rate of VAT and energy than we have here in Ireland. So we already have a, comparatively speaking, a lower rate of VAT on energy than other countries that you could compare us to. But of course, it's not like we haven't done anything. We have acted. So if you look at between the budget that I brought in in October, which had tax changes in it, which had social welfare increases, combined with the package that myself and Minister McGrath announced last week, for example, that that will mean that a, 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 a pensioner living on their own as a result of the changes that we made on Budget Day and the changes that were announced in the uh, package there last week will be between 600, six to 800 euro uh, of uh, additional payments this year versus where they would have been last year. So we've acted in recognition of that because I take your point, Claire, that for many within our country at the moment, after the trauma of this pandemic, we're just trying to get out of that and they're immediately hit with rising costs. And that's why we've put nearly one and a half billion euro of measures in just, place to help with that. Just on that about our, our rate being lower than other European countries, then why is 50% of the price um, at the pump taken in, in government levies and tax and excise? Because of excise. Okay. Uh, so you asked me about like VAT. Yeah, so can you do anything? Uh, I mean, we're, we're, but we're we've getting... Already, we've already acted, and as I said, one and a half billion euro of measures is, a, is the kind of support that, is, that we're making available in, a, in absolute understanding of the challenges that many are facing. But I can't, um, you know, indicate to you here this evening that we can immediately put in place additional measures worth many, many, many billions of euro uh, because we're still borrowing for other things and because we, and you would expect me, to ensure that we'll have the money available mm. to continue to make progress and many other things that are important I'm, I'm to thinking, our country this year. I'm thinking of that €200 Euro, um, energy credit that went to everybody right across the country. And, you know, that sense that some people didn't need that money. A lot of people didn't need that money, but there were those who really did. And it's the same people, as I said, who are trying to make a decision. You know, they can't fill up their car. They may yeah. be in a rural place. The 20% off the public transport, it makes no difference to them. Mm -hmm. They're struggling now. Mm -hmm. And that this... This is, is something that has been done in other countries across Europe and is something that could be done here. I'm wondering, is there pressure coming from the Greens on this, from within coalition, about how you manage the cost of living without touching fuel? But we've reduced the price of energy. Okay. Uh, we, so, so Specifically, we've though, on the issue of carbon taxes, say, because there's uh, a lot of talk about that, well, the, so, the, the so freeze we, happening come May. Uh, but, but, so but we, that's we, not going to happen. We've already acted to reduce the price of energy. You know, a moment ago, you were saying, why don't we cut the price on uh, fuel? And of course, if you were to do something like that, regardless of the income of somebody, they would all experience the same tax reduction. Uh, so what we did with the energy rebate is exactly try to respond back to the issue that I know so many of your viewers are facing at the moment. I'm so aware of that, which is why, as I, as I said, we've put one and a half billion euro of measures in place to deal with the carbon tax increase directly. Um, I mean, this is something that uh, I implemented even before this current government was formed. 
it's something that all parties and government are committed to. And the reason why is even though we have this huge challenge and an intense one for many, which I know about the inflation and rising costs of, of energy, we have an existential challenge that's already affecting our environment in the climate crisis. And we can only make progress in that if we're willing to increase the price of carbon year by year and use that to fund things like, for example, the really ambitious retrofit programme, which Minister Ryan and the government announced last week. If this short-term solution doesn't work and these suite of measures don't, uh, later this year, will you look at an emergency budget? Uh, no. I've already put in place a set of measures to respond back uh, to the many challenges that many are facing now with the rising cost. So of that's it. But there will be no further changes between now and the budget. You're fully confident of that? Yes. Okay. Um, and, you know, if we're talking about this, and there is word around ECB interest rate ra rates, um, we know that, you know, they're doing it in the US Federal Reserve, um, have, have, cut the, have uh, increased their rate as as they're doing in the UK as well. Um, isn't it a possibility that that's going to, to happen within Europe? And what sort of impact is that going to have here? So um, interest rate decisions are ones that are independently made by the European Central Bank. Um, and they will be having a meeting in March in which they're going to decision, consider what they could do. What they have said up to this point is they have said they're going to reduce first the uh, emergency things that they're doing in financial markets mm -hmm. to reduce the cost of borrowing for governments and for big private sector employers. After that, they would consider what they would do with interest rates and uh, they would consider if that's still appropriate in March. Uh, and what, what do you think? Do you think it's going to happen potentially? I'd prefer not to comment on what the ECB may decide or not decide to do. That's their call about you know, what they think is appropriate. Uh, so much of what they have done has been in response to trying to help governments get through COVID and make sure we can borrow huge amounts of money. And as the health crisis lifts, there is going to be a change then in the monetary policies they have in place. And what impact could that have here? I'm thinking about mortgages. Uh, I'm thinking about how that's going to impact on households already stretched. Uh, well, again, they have not made any decision in relation to interest rates um, and they won't do that for a little while longer yet. Were there to be any change in uh, ECB interest rates, of course it would affect the cost of new borrowing and it would affect, for example, variable interest rates on loans uh, that uh, our citizens would have. So that would be Are you effect. worried about that? But, but the impact of that is understood by the ECB. So... Uh, President Christine Lagarde, the chief economist of the ECB, Philip Lane, have acknowledged that changes in interest rates would have an effect on a recovery uh, that at the moment still has other risks that we've discussed here this evening. So, you know, am I concerned about the effect that a change in interest rates could have on living standards? Of course I would be. But equally, I understand that the ECB will assess how any change in interest rates could affect a recovery that is facing many challenges. But all that being said, Claire, very quickly, 2.5 million people at work here today. I've been on your programme many times in the last two years in which we had hundreds of thousands of people on the pandemic unemployment payment. That is really important progress. All right, there we'll have to leave it, Minister Pascal. Thank you, Claire. You.
Thank you for joining us tonight. A big news story developing uh, tonight. Four Munster counties have been put under a red weather alert as Storm Eunice heads our way. Let's go live now to Alan O'Reilly of Carlow Weather for the latest on what they're calling a multi-hazard event. Alan, tell us more about where the storm is tracking right now. So the storm at the moment is just off the southwest coast of Ireland and it's becoming a very clear now on satellite images. It's taking its shape. It's still actually developing, but it's continuing to move towards us and it's really going to start to move in over the southwest of the country through tonight and into the early hours of the morning. A yellow warning for right across the country comes into effect at 1am. So all areas will have a yellow warning from 1am. And then we see orange warnings and red warnings coming into effect at 3 a.m. Uh, for some counties. So for Cork, um, Kerry and Clare, it's, it's red from 3 a.m. And then for Waterford from 7 a.m. And now southern half of the country has orange warnings then for wind. However, there's also orange warnings for the northwest of the country for snowfall with some heavy snow expected and accumulations of snow will cause problems, especially around areas of Donegal, um, Sligo, Leach and Roscommon. So those areas will be mostly impacted by snow. But those okay. strong winds will come right across the country. Yeah, let's talk about this uh, briefly. The multi-hazard impact around this that's sort of been discussed has been quite unique to this storm. Spin, wind speeds changing direction very quickly. Um, that has the chance of causing a lot of damage, doesn't it, Alan? It does, and the weather models are very clear in showing gusts in excess of 130 kilometres an hour, especially in the south, southwest, and those are really damaging gusts. We don't rare, we rarely see those winds kind of speeds in Ireland. And as you say, the multi-hazard part of it is very unusual. It's very unusual for us to see snow and a storm at the same time. The last time we saw that really was Storm Emma, which was a different type of storm. But you know, the fact that you're going to have uh, blizzard-type conditions for a time tomorrow morning, and also the timing of this storm Claire. it's very unfortunate that some of the, the peaks of the wind speeds are going to be hitting just as people are getting up tomorrow morning and maybe thinking about going about their business to schools that are open and to business etc okay well listen uh, we will wait and see what happens there thank you for the update alan the very latest there on storm Eunice. Um, coming up next opposition reaction to those nefit recommendations on mask mandates stay with us Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome. 
Welcome back. Well, I'm joined now by People Before Profit TD, Breed Smith, Green TD, Stephen Matthews and Irish Examiner political editor, Daniel McConnell. Um, the news today, the big news, of course, the NEFIT um, recommendations to end the mask mandate. Essentially, the mask is slipping here. Um, Daniel, what do you think of this move in terms of how it's going to be accepted politically? Well, I, I, I certainly get the sense politically since the easing of restrictions a couple of weeks ago, a number of weeks ago, the sort of political system has almost moved on from COVID-19. I mean, the cost of living has dominated the agenda for the last two or three weeks without question. And the sort of razor-like focus on COVID that was there for the last two years certainly has has has, has kind of moved off centre stage. I think it's very significant that Tony Holohan and Effort are looking to stand themselves down and, and kind of shut themselves down. And a cynic might say they're, they're kind of jumping before they're being pushed. Mm. Because I think we are certainly out of the emergency phase of this pandemic or certainly this is all of what this, you know, is telling us is that, you know, the, the emergency is all but over. Um, and, you know, like, we're going to hopefully get back to normality in some shape or form. But I do think, you know, it is probably an appropriate time now to start looking back at the role of NEFIT over the last two years. Because I think while it stood us in very good stead in, in many ways, I think it did make an awful lot of mistakes as well. And I think ultimately as well, you know, the costs of all of the restrictions that were put in place on people were, were very significant. I think those costs are beginning to come to the surface, not in terms, of, not only in terms of mental health, but in terms of the business costs that you spoke about with the minister before the break as well. Um, so I do think there's a, a probably a, an appropriate period of reflection now going to happen on Neffert's role. Mm -hmm. And I suppose at the start of the pandemic as well, we have to go right back to, you know, 2020 and the early days of all of this and and what decisions were made at those very early days like in places such as nursing homes that contributed um, to to many to many deaths in this pandemic. But to come to you, Breed, on the decision that's been made today or the recommendation at least on the government, as, as uh, the minister was alluding to, they'll have to make that call at Cabinet. It's likely to come early next week on the removal of masks. Um, would you be in favour and, and welcoming of this move? I think that call might come sooner, but I, I, I think we need to be much more cautious. And I've been listening carefully and watching carefully what the uh, trade unions representing the frontline workers are saying, and they're very worried about the sudden decision. They think it should be given more time. And I would tend to agree with them, not least because people who are still vulnerable, people who are immunocompromised and who are elderly and who have, you know, underlying issues, are going to be excluded from feeling comfortable on public transport, going into shops, uh, because nobody else is going to be masked up. And the, the, the unions are saying what I think is quite right. Give it another month or so. Why the big rush to take masks off in places that are crowded? It's not a big imposition to wear a mask on a bus or on a Lewis or on a train or in a shop. Fair enough if you're going in and out of your workplace. Schools are an exception mm. to that. There's a high level of children being hospitalised with COVID and there's something like 12,000 teachers out sick with it. But should, so it, be, still need to should be it be law, Breed? I mean, if, you, if, it, if no, it's no, guidance... No, I don't, I don't believe in the, the strong arm of the law, but I think the signals that are being given out by the politicians are wrong. Like Eamon Ryan today, and I'm not singling out Eamon just because his colleague is here beside me, but I was quite gobsmacked by the way he stood up and said... I look forward to the mask wearing ending. I think we should be much more cautious and we should be listening to what the frontline workers and their representatives are saying. And we should be saying to people, I don't, I don't believe in the strong arm of the law at all in this, but I think we should encourage people to continue being masked up on public transport, inside shops, in crowded public areas. Um, and, you know, whatever 
for whatever else happens inside pubs and theatres and all the rest of it, at least uh, make it comfortable for those who are more vulnerable to participate in, you know, being able to move around, to go shopping and all the rest of it. They'll be scared. You know, Stephen, um, while, while this move, obviously the recommendation has been made, people may have been surprised by how Eamon Ryan, as Minister for Transport, stood up and said, personally, you know, I can't wait for... Essentially, I can't wait for the, them to be gone. Um, the masks should be, you know, the mandate should be dropped as a matter of urgency um, in all settings. Would that be the general consensus? Look, I, I think a lot of people are looking forward to the masks being gone. But as Breed says, there are a lot of people that we, we're going to have to have, ha, take care and be considerate with as well, because there are vulnerable people out there still and the numbers are still quite high. Uh, but NEFIT is the expert advisory group. And if their, if their advice, if their medical, uh, public health advice is that masks are no longer mandatory in certain settings, then that's the advice the government do takes and will act on that. Do you think though the guidance may follow this? They're not mandatory, but do you think there could be some statement from government saying, well, not not mandatory, um, you know, let's continue to wear them if, 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 if that's OK on public I, transport I, I, in those settings. Micheál Martin yeah. sort of alluded to that. Eamon Ryan certainly didn't. Um, what, what do you think should happen I there? I certainly wouldn't discourage anybody from wearing a mask if they feel that, 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 that they should or in their setting where, 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 they, where they want to wear it. Uh, but um, I, I do think we have to take that time with people then as well. And if there is advisory situations, then it would be advisory and it would be up to that person then to wear, wear the mask if they wish to, say on public transport or in retail settings or in hos- hospitality but I kind of miss the point of the mask. The mask isn't about protecting yourself. It's about protecting you from others. So if others feel that you're not protected from them, it, it, it misses the point. So I really do think politicians should be encouraging mask wearing for another month or so and listen to what the trade unions who represent bus drivers, nurses, teachers, SNAs are saying to us. Yeah, on, the, on that point, Danny, you know, that, that pressure from lobby groups, from unions on this, like there is a reticence, certainly, we're hearing it from the teaching unions about the removal. We did have a clip at the top of the programme from a student who was a bit worried, he's hitting exams. Mm. He said, if the masks are all removed, how many people are going to be out sick? How will this disrupt uh, what's left of the school year? Yeah, I mean, I'm just con- very conscious of what happened 12 months ago when the teachers' unions twice scuppered government plans to reopen the classrooms just after Christmas. And, you know, we were out, the kids were out of classes for four months. Mm-hmm. That should never have allowed, been allowed to happen. Um, and I think I'm not, I'm not dismissing... But they, there also weren't the mitigation measures in place. Yeah, on, on listen, I, ex- I accept the wider problem that it wasn't just... Like, I mean, the numbers were extremely high. There wasn't the vaccine in place last year and the mitigation measures weren't in place. But kids should not have been out of school for the length of time that they were out of school for. And I, and I, I pick up on Bree's point in relation to, you know, the concern that, that frontline drivers... I'm not dismissing them. But the country needs to move on. This pandemic is over. We are in it's now... Daniel, it's not... The Breed. rate of deaths has been very high Breed. in the last two months. Like... The emergency phase of this pandemic is over. Yeah, we because have, we're all we're all highly vaccinated. Yeah, but like, so let's can we not accept I, I that got reality co- and move on? I got on, COVID like? two weeks ago. I was very sick for three days, mm. but I'm a big, strong woman, and I got over it. But I'm fully vaccinated and yeah. boosted, and I know so many more people who've got it, and they're fully vaccinated. You know this, 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 it's everywhere, and there are people who are not like me who are vulnerable who could easily pick it up. And fair enough, they're not going to be going into, you know, crowded pubs or dance halls, but there are certain places where we almost go onto public transports, into shops, Mm. and at the very minimum, be cognizant of each other when we're in those crowded spaces. Schools are a separate argument, and I would argue that some of the pupils and some of the teachers are saying we need to continue wearing our masks. But think about the general public and what the unions are saying to us in that. So, So, for example, they are still saying it's mandatory 
to wear masks into health settings. Mm. So why? Why not then onto buses and onto Lewis's and onto trains? But where does that stop then? I mean, if it we... It stops there. No, but no, but if it we... Stops it stops there. It no. stops in public spaces where there's crowds. But if we turn around and say, listen, we have to exercise caution from here, we'll never get out of this thing. We have to move no, on. Daniel, Daniel move the on. unions are saying, give it another month. All What's right. wrong with that? Give it another month. Why so soon? Because, in fairness, that was the attitude and the sort of line that was being taken all the way through the pandemic. All right. when, when restrictions were dragged on and dragged on, the country has to reopen. Uh, and well, has okay. To... I mean, that's not fair to the government. What would the month, what would, do you think the extra month would grant us? <coughs> I think it would grant us more, more suppression of the virus and more um, development of immune, immunity. Uh, generally in the public. And I think it's unfair to the frontline workers to say that they, they created problems. There was problems created by the system in not providing HEPA filters, for example, in workplaces. We've got the bill in there now and they're talking about working on it, but they still don't have them in most workplaces. Mm. Even in health settings, we don't have them. So, like, uh, let's not, time, even yeah. without thrashing over the whole what's gone, Let's look at what we're doing now. And I really do think there should be more caution about this okay. and politicians should be more responsible right. and should be saying, um, hang on, well, please wear masks in crowded spaces. Well, part of all this, of course, is this promise about a long-term strategy for living with COVID and, and what to do, again, if it comes back come autumn or, or where, where it goes from here. Uh, I want to just talk about the cost of living and something that certainly was brought up in the in the doll this week again about the measures that are being announced by government and how they're playing out. And we're hearing from the AA, as I mentioned to the minister before, about fuel being at an all-time record high since they started uh, clocking the price at the pumps. And whether the government missed a trick here with not not making a move on, on, on VAT, on fuels. Yeah, so they seem to be aware of this advice that they've gotten from Europe, that if, like, there's a derogation already in place in terms of a lower VAT rate, if they moved on this for fuel, it would push, then push you way back up to the top rate of 23%. They said that would just make things worse. So they've been wedded to this very strict advice that they can't bring in this, you know, or reduce the level of VAT. Although it's been done elsewhere. It has been done elsewhere, but again, there seems to be kind of this advice taken in the Department of Finance. The government is on a, is on a very sticky wicket here in terms of the cost of living because the, the levers at its disposal to try and impact that or counteract sort of pressures that are being uh, kind of felt by everybody are very limited. However, you know, this is manna for heaven for the opposition. They can really hammer the government in relation uh, to this. And look, like it's no coincidence that Sinn Féin have led on the cost of living issue six or seven times now in a row at leaders' questions of the last two or three weeks. Like, Yeah, um, like on, on the cost of living and the pressures that are facing um, people breached, uh, you know, the minister said there, there will be no emergency budget. There will be no, like the, what he's announced, that's it. Um, do you accept that that will be enough? Uh, do you worry that we're going to find ourselves in a lot of trouble if we don't see this inflation easing anytime soon? It is most definitely not enough. And I know all the ministers start off by saying, I understand what people are going through. I, you know, I, I understand where they're at and how much they're struggling. I don't think they really get it. I don't really think they get how difficult a struggle it is. And so, for example, at the Climate Committee during the week, we were drilling down with crew, the uh, Commission for Energy Regulation and Water Regulation, um, for the regulation of the utilities, rather, how the system works in terms of the pricing of energy. And we, through crew, control 70% of the price of energy. Mm. And yet energy has gone up and up and up. We now have the highest cost of energy in the whole of Europe. That 70% is mainly made up of VAT and taxes and all the rest of it. Now, we could intervene on that and bring it down significantly, but we're not prepared to do that. 
And yet we're blaming the market on Ukraine and Russia. It's not at all. In fact, most of the gas we use comes from Carib, not Ukraine or not across the Moffat uh, connector. So we need to look carefully at what we're doing in this country and start bringing down real cost to people. Turkey have reduced VAT on food, for yeah, example. I want today. to ask you briefly on that, um, uh, just on that, like that, what's the Greens feel about that? There is a lot of pr pressure coming on board that energy prices are simply too high. The Greens do not want to budge. Energy prices, because uh, we, we currently depend so heavily on fossil fuels, energy prices are only ever going to go in one direction. Now, they've gone increasing, they've gone exceptionally high in a very short period of time. And Breed is incorrect on that. A lot of the energy costs and the prices are due to that Russian-Ukrainian tension there because they control all that gas into Europe. Now, that's, it's untrue not to say that that hasn't affected our energy prices here. It absolutely has. So a long-term strategy on that, and, and this is the way governments should be thinking, is to get ourselves off that fossil fuel, which I think we both agree on that, and to move more so towards renewables. Okay. And the maritime no area planning bill that we brought in last year where we're going to harness that offshore electricity, and that's where we need to right. be going. And we will take those interim measures, like that half a billion cost of living package that was introduced last week, and we will take those, that's our interim measure, but in the long term we need to be looking at rene renewable uh, energy and resilience in energy and energy that we control. As okay. long as we don't go down the road we did with Carib and privatise All right. instead of owning our own there we have to There we have to leave it. And just to clarify, Eamon Ryan said he's looking forward to the requirements being lifted, but would also advise people to continue uh, wearing masks. My thanks to Breed and to Stephen. Daniel is staying with us next. All the big stories of the week as the Americans issue a stark warning that the biggest land war in Europe since World War II may be just days away. I am here today not to start a war, but to prevent one. Welcome back, Irish Examiner political editor Daniel McConnell is still here and I'm also joined by News Talk broadcaster Anton Savage and broadcaster and journalist Fanula Moran. Um, you're very welcome along to the programme tonight. Uh, let's start with, I suppose, big news um, abroad um, and look, it's dominated the headlines, of course, what's happening on the Russia-Ukraine border. We're hearing from Joe Biden again coming out tonight saying he believes, despite I suppose the moves, the retreats uh, on the uh, so-called retreats on the Russian side, that he believes Russia is on the brink of invading Ukraine, uh, really ramping things up again there, Anton, and uh, no end in sight to any of this. No, but in, in, it's, I think it's interesting to look at the, the dialogue around it over the last couple of days in a couple of ways. On the negative side, I wonder how much of what Putin originally wanted to achieve has he already achieved. The, the suggestion of Ukraine joining NATO has been greatly weakened. Russia's influence and, and weight in, in the previous zones owned by the USSR has been increased. The West has been destabilised. So he has achieved a huge amount without ever having to um, fire a gun. I'm also intrigued by the way that it has been discussed because a lot of the language has been about things like diplomatic solutions which is like arriving to a domestic violence incident and saying, I hope you get the marriage back together. There is one aggressor and there's everybody else. It's not a diplomatic solution. It's asking that aggressor to back off. 
That aside, I think one of the positives out of this has been Joe Biden and the role of America and the way the EU has responded. First of all, America is back on the world stage in the way that one would hope that it would be, providing some kind of sentient leadership <laughs> rather than lunacy. And the EU is coherent in its response and coherent with America. Yeah, the big thing is that each, both Putin and Biden, playing to their base then, really. Yeah, um, but I think, as Anton alluded to, I mean, the role of the EU has been interesting. You know, I mean... On one hand, you've got Russia acting as the aggressor, but on the EU talking no more about sanctions. And I thought it was very interesting, Thomas Byrne, our European Affairs Minister, the other day talking about the Ireland's, you know, military strategy in the next couple of years. Is going, we're going to have to have a serious conversation about our, our, our future military strategy. Like, we're, we're patently weak in terms of our own defences here. Like, we've neglected them for decades and we are vulnerable. But also, I think, you know, the wider European conversation about militarisation, mm -hmm. you know, should the EU form a, a, an army to stand up for the force of good. Because if and you have this aggressor on your left flank or your eastern flank that's just going to keep poking you, and that's what Russia is doing, is poking us. And Of if, course, uh, they would accuse of like a counter-aggression there, you know, with the, the push of, of NATO into countries like, OK, Ukraine really want NATO on board and all of that, that there's that counter line as well, that it cuts both ways. Yeah, but like at the bottom line is that, you know, you know America has flip-flopped in terms of does it want the mantle of being leader of the free world or not? Under Biden, I think it's trying to reassert itself in that space. But, you know, there is that question to be asked about what does Europe stand for? It is a block of 500 million people. Should we not be at least well, a player in that in Well, that it's form? certainly, if we want to uh, keep uh, neutrality, you have to invest in that. Neutrality um, is a farce in yeah, Ireland. Okay. <laughs> neutrality is and always was a farce. Like. Well, let, let's talk about, uh, I suppose, the big news today, uh, Fanula, and that's NEF recommendations removal of masks in almost all settings, bar healthcare. It really feels like it signalled a new era in this pandemic, the end, essentially, of the pandemic as we know it, at least. Uh, do you welcome this movie? Are you happy about it? Do you think people on the whole are, are pretty happy about the announcement tonight? I think or people the are delighted about it, yeah. Um, I was out at a comedy gig last night and it was amazing to see people just in all of that normality really, really enjoying it now. I think Breed raised some good points just about kind of the high-risk people in our lives that we still need to protect in certain ways and just from an employer point of view as well, I do hope that they will let their staff continue to choose if they feel they need to, that they want to continue wearing their masks. But for the most part, it really does feel like we're getting back to normal and not before time too. Yeah, do you think there's an across the board welcome? Like we heard Breed there saying, you know, and uh, that, you know, unions are sort of worried about it and it should, shouldn't happen as quickly as it, it appears it will happen. Um, do you think on the whole though, that, that, that the time is now and that people are fed up of the restrictions oh that have been in place God, for yeah, a couple of years spades. and ready to move and I on? Think, I think if you had said to us in November, listen, by Valentine's Day, masks off, everything back to normal, and Neffet will have decided to go out behind the bike shed and shoot itself. You'd say, this would be the perfect end result. We would never have thought we'd be there. Now, yeah, there will be a little lingering Stockholm syndrome nationally shared by all of us, where it's, uh, is it okay to take the mask off? There will be people who will feel uncomfortable. I have to say that the last winter I took public transport on a regular basis where you're sitting on a bus watching condensation come down the inside the windows, everybody's cramped. Yeah, I don't know how quick, oh, I don't know how quickly people will be to remove masks on public yeah. transport. Certainly, you know, and you see it in, in Asian countries, I mean, where it's, you know, culturally been the norm, um, that it, it could it could become a case right, of and that, that may here linger as well. here for a while. But how great is it that we are in a situation where I mean, to, to uh, quote what Danny was saying, uh, the emergency phase of the pandemic is yeah, we're still over. hearing about around ten thousand cases. 
cases. I mean, ask the WHO, they're not saying the pandemic is over. True, but if you, look at, if you look at any of, our, uh, of the curves of either case numbers or more important, hospitalisation and death numbers, they are radically different to any of the previous periods and they are coming at the end of a period of a radically different approach to lessening of measures. Anytime we lessen measures before, like the horror of the Christmas before last, we found ourselves with peaks. Now we've yeah. a trough. Well, it's the fear, isn't it, that even when we say it's all over, folks, that... Is it really, you know, we just don't know with this one, but, but for now, respite yeah. at least. But it is, but I, I have to pick up on, on what Anton said. I mean, Stockholm Syndrome, like we've had this, the SHIT scared out of us for the last two years with these daily sort of scaremongering in relation to well, case people number. have actually, no, but people have rightly been, I mean, do you know, we, we've, we've seen plenty of deaths. We've seen many we people have. being sick. We've seen a lot of hospitalisation uh, ICUs at uh, uh, really worryingly high ne levels. Any, you know, it any, hasn't just all been no, scary. Any foreigner who I've spoken to who's come into this country, you know, have looked at Ireland's kind of attitude towards COVID-19 are amazed at how it dominated every radio station, dominated every newspaper, dominated everything. The com national conversation was dominated by COVID-19. Other countries got on with their lives and got on with running their lives. It was a factor. They incorporated it in the running of their countries. So I think we did become almost so fearful as to think that will we ever get out of this? And I do think, you know, that, that fear is likely to linger. I'm not dismissing the concerns of, of elderly people or vulnerable people, but by God, time has come for us to start living our lives again. Um, of course, the house prices um, shot up again. We got this figure of 14.4% um, annual rise for people looking to buy a home, they'll know all about that, Fanula. Absolutely, it's incredibly grim. We bought a second-hand home 16 months ago and we were so lucky to get in before all of that, but I saw now it's 130,000 is the average combined wage of a couple buying a first-time house, 65,000 per person. How much higher is that than the average and the mean wages here in Ireland? Really, really scary stuff. Just hearing people non-stop getting locked out of buying a house but then also the rental situation is no better there's no security there and it's just a very very scary road we're going down with no real end in sight yeah and you know when you think about this and it's not really often talked about but right now with these spiraling prices that we're seeing and rents rising as well there's a large cohort of irish voters for whom this is actually fine with them and it isn't affecting them it's a real case of a country divided isn't it anton Oh, totally, in so many different ways. If you look at an average rent of, of let's say, 1,500 euro, if you're one of the people of whom there are tens of thousands who have a tracker mortgage back from when they were possible, 1,500 euro puts you in a three-bed semi-D, probably worth about 600 grand. Meanwhile, average rent of 1,500 puts somebody in a one-bed apartment if they're lucky. So there is absolutely two very different strands. There is the strand of people as well who have their own homes, who are looking at these rises thinking, isn't this wonderful? I'm either out of the negative equity I was once in or I'm making money off the back of it. And meanwhile, there are people who are saying, I have saved and saved and saved to get my 10% deposit only to see the equivalent of that deposit disappear yeah, in a year. You know, we had a contributor on last night, Kieran Mulqueen of uh, Crazy House Prices, and he was saying essentially what we've created is a really dysfunctional society now where people in their 40s are still living with their parents yeah. because they can't buy a home. And it's really sad to see people like that who've had to, you know, they look at their 20s and they look at, they're look well into their 30s and like that they're in this sort of catch-22. Do you save or do you try and, you know, do you, do you try and, and, and look at renting? 
And like we were very lucky. We're, we bought at the bottom of the market 10 years ago, just, you know, when the crash happened. We were in a house that we're going to be in there for pretty much to the rest of our lives. And I count our blessings that we, we moved when we did. Because I look at colleagues of mine and I look at, you know, friends of mine who didn't move as early as we did and are caught in a desperate situation right now. And there's only one thing that I would add to that, which is going back to the, the thing of it, it, the, the no end of the road that we're on. We also should forget how long this road is because it is, what, 2017 when the then Taoiseach, um, Leo Varadkar, declared a housing emergency. Mm. That's not today or yesterday. You know, this isn't a problem that has arisen in the last six months. What's surprising is that we are now four or five years into a declared emergency with no end in sight. Yeah, and still talking about it. And of course, um, the supply, when will it catch up with that demand? Um, you know, big news today with the settlement that was reached between Britain's Prince Andrew and Virginia Giuffray. Um, it emerged very quickly that it was in the multi-millions. You're talking, you know, 12 million plus. Um, the Queen, of course, giving towards that. Um, it's all... It's, it's a really awful state of affairs, really. Like, what does it say about the monarchy? What does it say about... Um, paying off someone that you claim you never met. Oh, it's absolutely insane. Um, this whole story is bananas. She hasn't signed an NDA with that deal apparently either, so I don't think it's the last of it. I hope we'll hear more from her side in due course. Um, but it's absolutely mental. I went and looked into this because I was thinking if I was paying tax for the royal family or to the royal family over there, I would absolutely be questioning the relevance in 2022 with that money. But I think it's the Duchy of Lancaster. The Queen gets approximately 20 million off that every year. So it's her private wealth fund. So it's meant to be coming from that. And poor Andrew is apparently selling um, his ski chalet in Verbier as well. Uh, so no tears from him, but he is still wanted for question for the FBI in the Jeffrey Epstein uh, investigation there as well. So he might have to learn how to sweat again soon. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, where'd you go really with that story? But um, it is sort of sorry that it, that it has come to this from Virginia Gervais' point of view. You'd like to think that, you know, that she, she's got she got the statement out of him. True. You'd like to think as well that he would have had, uh, if if not the decency not to have done it in the first place, the decency to have settled a lot sooner than he did instead of what he put her through in terms of time. Okay, thanks to the panel tonight. That's it from us. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. Our next news is on Ireland AM tomorrow morning, but from all the late team here, good night, take care. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.